Hey guys, welcome back to the Hard Time Strongman Podcast. Six or seven, we are here to do a data sode on legality versus morality. Long story short, even though it's right legally, morally, you might have a broken compass. But let's delve into this. So yeah, what you said. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about it though, it's like they do overlap a lot, but the only difference is, you know, if you're doing things based on the rule of law, that's it. You're governed by a specific set of rules written down that you have to follow. Otherwise, I mean, with you know the American government, it's you're facing either prison or death. If you don't follow it, like that's well, you, you have to you abide by the laws and consequences of the land, right? Wherever land you're in, right? So, uh, quick definition legality so it's the attachment to or observance of law versus morality, the quality of being in accord with standards or rights of good conduct or good conduct. So, so we're talking you're right being or good or bad. And you know, we see how wonderful our legal system is here, but that is the, <laughs> that is the, that is the idea, right? So this is a DASODE, legality versus morality. DASODE, we try to teach you all things that your dad should have taught you, right? Yep. And this is a pretty heavy subject. So, you know, this will have been, you know, later on in life, but it's an accumulation of experiences as you're growing up you know, finding your rights and lefts, right? Something that we touched on, you know, or at least mentioned in earlier episodes are what are your non-negotiables, right? Legal or not, moral or not, right? So when we talk about morality, we're talking about your ethics, your values, your principles, your left and rights, your non-negotiables, you know, who are you as a man or woman? How do you act? You know, what is your you know code for lack of a better term, right? And, you know, given whatever situation, you apply that code, you apply those principles, those values to your decision-making process and how you interact with and, you know, deal with other people in other situations. Now, if you are mainly focused, mainly aligned with, you know, your morality, then that's going to change person by person. And, you know, that can be good or bad. You know, it's a very subjective thing. Now, if you are more legally focused, more legalistic, you could say, then whatever the law of land is for wherever you're at is, you know, in theory, at least for this conversation, where you're, you know, going to be, you know, you're constrained to. So whether or not those laws are good or bad with your morals is another thing, another you know discussion entirely. Right. And inherently laws are not bad. The only thing that makes them bad for are the people who interpret them. This and make them hate lawyers. Yeah. This is why people well, hate lawyers. And inter- interpret them, enforce them and make mm-hmm. them. Yes. Right. So. If you if you're legalistic and you're like, hey, the law is good, not following the law is bad. Okay, what if it's a bad law? Right. And then you uphold that law, even though it's bad. Are you still good? Are you bad? Do you take it as a get out jail free card? You know, it's like, oh, I was just following the law. I was just following oh. orders. There's a book about that, by the way. It's called Ordinary Men. You should check it out. There's an entire like set of trials about that set in the freaking city of Nuremberg. I'm just saying this. The death camp guards were, quote, just following orders. Now, were they legally right? Gray area. Were they morally right? Absolutely not. Absolutely. 
And that's the difference. Like you could apply that today to red flag laws. You know, if the citizens of the world decided that, or I guess the citizens of America got tired of the American government and notionally, I'm going to emphasize that notionally revolted. Would the cops then join them, stay out of their way or side with the government and fire on their own people? That is a question of legality versus morality. Let's stir, let's stir the pot a little bit. All right. So we had a lot of fun with BLM a, you know, a couple of years ago. So oh, did the, we have fun? I, I was thinking the case of fun with the NF, NFAC, the not round not, coalition. You make me at so much. Yeah, those guys too. <laughs> they were indeed around. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I have to add this. You don't. No, but yes. so the case of Floyd, right? Mm. So. Terrible thing. Stripping away, stripping away everything, right? Yes. All of your bias, all of everything else, right? You have a case of a, of a police officer, guy who's supposed to uphold the law, you know, hanging out on this dude's neck for a while while he's on the ground. Okay. Mm-hmm. You had several officers behind him, guarding him. You have a whole ring of people around them taking videos and pictures and everything else. And this guy ends up dying. Yep. Okay. So let's strip away all the bias or potential bias that could be handled here. Okay. So let's say a new notional scenario. Okay. You have. Suspect A, or only suspect. You have suspect. Okay. Yes. He was, you know, arrested for fill in the blank, something. Officer A is on this dude's neck, which you need for breathing and blood flow and such. Kind of important. Okay. You have officers B and C. I think there's only like two of them. Maybe there was three of them, right? I think there's yeah, I think there's only two. Hanging out behind, you know, by the vehicle. And then you have all the bystanders. Okay. How long were they there? Was there not a different solution? The officer knows this is wrong. He, he has to. He has to know this is wrong. He's hanging out on a do site. It's not comfortable. Like he's like, it is taking a conscious effort for him to be there while this dude is struggling to breathe. Okay. The officers behind him probably know this isn't right. <laughs> okay. Did they step up? No, they did not. Did they put a stop to it? No, they did not. Any of those people that were around them taking pictures and videos, did they stop them or him rather? No. No, they did not. So think of it from an outsider's perception, okay? I see this guy is obviously not having a great day. I don't know what the situation is, okay? But he's on his neck. I don't think he can breathe all that well. Every time that I yell and tell him to get off, he doesn't do anything, right? Do I go and rush that officer? What happens then? Because then I am breaking a law. Several, in fact. Could I morally save this guy? Maybe. Could I end up with a bunch of holes? Yeah, maybe that too. I'd say that's probably the likely outcome. Yeah. Could I get all those other people to rush with me so, you know, before they can fire off a shot? Yeah, probably not. But then what happens? Do you think all those people get off scot-free? No. Do you think the, well, you, their, you know, their sergeant comes down and is like, oh, yeah, you guys were in the right. Sorry about that guy. We had issues with him before. No sweat. I know this is just basic framework of an argument I have wanted to sit here and play devil's advocate this entire time go for it that's why we're having Let's this discussion the beginning. okay so officer A has his neck or has his knee on the back of suspect's neck does he is there a possibility that he doesn't realize where he has his knee maybe probably maybe but more than likely, he knows where he has his, his knee. Does he have track of how long he's been doing this? Probably not. But a good possibility that he does. There's always a possibility. And speaking of the other officers, is there a chance that they are not watching him? 
but instead are watching the entire crowd around them to protect this person so they have no idea what's actually going on behind them. Very, very, very good possibility unless one of them turns around and looks. Mm -hmm. So, in keeping with this, God, and I hate to even go this route because it's a morality thing. The man was murdered, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. Where there was there an issue with something in his system that probably caught helped this along? Yes. In fact, there was. The tox screen revealed that there was fentanyl in his system. I mean, anybody who's ever had fentanyl, has ever heard of fentanyl, has ever read up on fentanyl, knows how dangerous that drug is. So you have a suspect on drugs, including, it's a barbiturate, right? I couldn't tell you, man. Fentanyl. I mean, it's it's a step up in morphine. I've had it in my system before. And it's, I can see why people get addicted to it. Opioid. Yes. Opioid. Thank you. Yes. So, He's got an opioid in the system. Does he have another drug in his system? Probably. I don't really know people who just take straight fentanyl. It doesn't take much to kill you. And, and, and to be clear, so it's a synthetic, a synthetic opioid, right? That's 50 times stronger than heroin. And 100 yeah, times stronger insane. than morphine. It's insane. Outside of a controlled environment, he should not be taking this crap. No. Should be taking this crap regardless. I, I'm not a fan of fentanyl at all. No. No. I only got it because I was in extreme amount of pain. Extreme. But regardless, back to the story. Was there something in his system? Yes. Did it contribute to his death? Highly likely. So you have factor A, B, and C, including the officer's knee on his neck. This man was going to die period. It was going to happen, mm -hmm. given the cir circumstances. Could it have been avoided? Yes. Was it going to be avoided? Probably not. They didn't know he had fentanyl in the system. So, even cutting off his blood, su blood supply to his brain by keeping a knee on his neck, that just hastened things along, honestly. And I hate the fact that Floyd died, period. He shouldn't have died. But... God, given the circumstances, I don't know how they could have negated it. I'm not saying anything of what the officer did was correct. You know, I, I can't even remember the situation of why he was getting arrested. I think it was like something about a bad check, but there's so much else that was going on behind the scenes involving those two that I don't even know what's legit, what's not, what is fact surrounding this, what's not. But regardless, man died. There's so many, so many asterisks surrounding this that it's just insane. and that's and we went on a little rant about that, right? But I'm sorry. no, you're, you're fine. But not to get lost in the weeds. But you know, we're talking about you know how how can you discern you know legal? How can yes. you discern how you should act between you know your morality and legality of a situation, right? So. Imagine if you're a bystander, right? You still have all those factors, you know, playing off in your head. You don't know the the full backstory of what's going on. You know, you don't have the guys talking to you. You don't know their history. You know, like you might not even right. have seen what happened before you came to the crowd. Okay. Right. But you see an officer on a dude's neck, which sends red flags in your head. And then his two buddies, you know, holding the crowd back. Three guys pulling the crowd back, essentially, right? So, I mean, what's all going through your head, man? So you have a not okay situation, which could be perceived as, you know, this guy, you know, trying to hurt this guy in public for, you know, who knows what reason. Okay. But then what's your, what's your course of action? Call 911. They're there. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean no. So legally, you know, say if you do try to act, okay. In the eyes of the law, in that moment, you are wrong. Yeah, I mean, because it'll take that, a whole a whole jury. It'll take a whole deal to to figure that out and make it right. But in the moment, you're wrong. And those officers yeah. are going to feel threatened and they're going to take whatever action that. They can to make themselves 
feel safe again. Like that's human nature. Okay. Morally, do I act or do I not act? Yeah. Okay. Do you because outside of life, or you do not. Right. Because you you already know the legal ramifications, right? So say you get put away or you hurt an officer or you know whatever you'll probably go away <laughs> what if you have a kid to take care of or a you know an adult a, a parent or a sibling i mean what if you know what about you know your whole entire life that gets put up because of that action which may or may not go your way what if you don't do anything and a guy dies on the ground in the middle of the street can you live with so, that? So I think short of like rushing those cops, you do whatever you can morally to bring attention to the fact that this guy's obviously struggling. You know, this they did. clearly has a knee. They didn't. They did. It, they did. And so it, in my, okay, look, in my mind, you're choking him. He can't are, breathe. <laughs> Your knees on mind, his neck. These guys are literally, these guys are literally standing way the, far back with phones in their hands screaming he can't breathe he can't breathe he can't breathe what would i have done put my damn phone down walk towards him hands straight up in the air being like guys he can't breathe his knees on his neck move his freaking knee like you are literally killing him i would try i would do that over and over and over again until they got the point up or they had to move to come arrest me but that's just me or you or you got shot yeah and like i'm not like Dude, I know we're both dude, playing devil's advocate here. Hands up. Oh my God. They are going to jail for murder. Plain and simple. And that sucks for me for sure. But, and the dude did, you know, he, did. For, he did for killing the guy on the ground. And that's what I, I'm saying. I'm not trying to get a fight with you over it. I'm just saying like, no, think about you. when, when there was the, the school shooting in Texas, they literally stopped parents from like, they held people back from going in to save their kids. Oh my God. And I could get on a freaking two hour rant on this, but a whole rant over that. Right. But I'm just saying, so these are the kind of things that, and and not to, you know, go a whole anti-cop thing. That's a, that's a whole other conversation, but the, what we're trying to get across is you need to have your principles, your values, your ethics, your code, however you want to say it, in line. You have to have your lefts and rights nailed down before you get into a situation like this, which could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen whenever. You need to get this sorted out because as an adult, as a person living in the world, you have to be able to navigate these kind of situations. Any situation, big or small, you're going to be you know, navigating that with your, with your principles and you're going to be, you know, trying to operate within the confines of the law and your principles. If those don't match up, you need to make a choice. You know, it's, do you, in a situation, do you eat your principles to maintain in law or do you say screw the law in order to maintain, you know, within your, within your integrity? So it's funny. Is that situation dependent? Growing up, you know, I watched all those stupid freaking movies where, you know, when I was younger, uh, main character has wife, kid, whatever, and he goes on a freaking rampage to save them or whatever, you know, maybe not a rampage in some of these movies, but you, you, you get the point. Like they do absolutely ridiculous things for their family. The normal person would not do, you know, they would be like. Above all, it's just like do whatever you do to get yourself and your family out of that situation without risking someone's life. Me, with, you know, now having a wife and a child on the way, I will go on a rampage. I will 100% shoot first, ask questions later to save my wife and child. Like, non-negotiable. And I hate to even say that. It's like the trolley problem. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's like the trolley problem. Okay. So outside of the, you know, the whole legality, 
legalistic mindset going straight, you know, just focusing on morals, right? The trolley problem, you are a bystander in front of a what a control pad or a control lever that will control whether a trolley train continues to go straight down on you know its current path or divert to the side. The straight path has five people tied to the rails and the divert path has one person. The trolley is going full speed. It cannot stop. It has no brakes. And you are the only person there. You know, all the factors are gone, right? So there's no cool hoodwink or catch 22 that you can get out of, you know, choosing. Not choosing is a choice. Because you would have killed five people. But you have to choose, right? To either let five people die or to kill one person. Which in lies the problem. It's the thought experiment, right? An ethic psychology question, right? So. Right. Do you sacrifice one to save the larger number? At I think face value, I if you don't know any of these people. Right. If you don't know any of these people, I believe the phrase you're looking for is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. But now, what if that one person is the one person that's a family member? The one person you care about most in this world or your wife or your kid mm. it's a lot of different choice person. yeah yeah it's a lot it different is. question yeah if i don't know that one person sorry bud if i do know that one person and it's my wife or it's my kid sorry everybody else but what if that's just all me. five people are convicted felons and they like killed a bunch of people or did other nasty stuff. Then I'm just going to arrange a meeting between them and God. Sorry, but, but that's what I'm saying. So it's not, it's never black and white, especially with morals. There's always, always other factors. There's always a gray area too. And with legality, there is too. I mean, you just talked about interpretation of the law, right? Right. Things that lawyers can do legally should be illegal. (laughs) It's absolutely insane. It's so some of the laws on the books should be legal. I mean, okay, here, shameless plug to Marbury versus Madison, 1803. Okay. A law repugnant to the Constitution is void. Yes. That's the Supreme Court decision that is yeah, yes that is law that, from the from the most supreme of supreme laws in our land by the way just throwing that out there all to say right you i i can almost guarantee someone breaks the law every single day i break the law every single day i am a i go over 75 miles per hour every day at some point or another no comment. No comment. <laughs> I believe you know what I mean, but it's like there are some things that people don't care about. It is so small. It's such a you know, it's so far down on the list. And we have so many laws, period, that you can never know all of them. So the big problem I have with a lot of these laws, and especially with the, the punishment of these laws, if you break them. So many of these laws are victimless. Like if you Mm. violate these laws, it's a victimless crime. So why are you getting punished if there's no one there that you violate, like you wronged? Like speeding? Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to say this and you will immediately know my political stance. Society cannot ever be labeled as a victim. The state can never be labeled as a victim. It can't. It's an entity. It is not a person. You cannot harm an entity or a, an organization. You can't. It's just, it's not possible. I'm sure someone out there will dig something up like, oh, well, this, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you notionally, speeding is technically not a crime unless you end up hurting someone or causing 
crap loads of damage to someone's property, speeding is not a crime. Just like smoking marijuana is not a crime. I'm just going to say it. Until you actually harm someone by your actions. Sorry, man. It's a victimless crime. It just is. All gun laws are infringements. Also, yes. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Oh, holy crap. Uh, <laughs> tax law. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to um, do that. So many people complain about the loopholes on this, but they fail to take advantage of those loopholes. Just saying. They're there for everyone. They need better lawyers. No. So. Or read more. So. That's my thing, too. So they're just. Especially in the States with the laws being so vast and overarching and just. Micromanaging, right? I don't think it's possible for you to uphold every single law. Every day, possible. you're going to break one at, at some point, right? So if we're at the point where we can understand and agree on that, right? So where is that crossover for you? Where is that okay for you? Right. And obviously, like you said, you know, if you're not harming anybody, then, you know, what's the harm? Okay. But people need to. Need to understand where they stand with laws with principles because say you're in a situation where you have to make the law of the land where you have to set the ground rules okay so now your principles your history your past experiences you know your upbringing and beliefs are going to be what's driving you with those laws right that's going to be your first instinct when you're you know trying to when you're trying to, you know, govern or set ground rules. So does the good of the may always outweigh the good of the few? Because that's not how it started out in the States. At what point does that change? You know, we're called to be leaders. We're trying to raise up and make leaders. Leaders need to be able to critically think and make these decisions and live with the consequences. Hey guys, Seven from the Hard Time Strongman Podcast here to bring a quick word from our newest sponsor, Blackbeard Firestarters. We first saw Blackbeard Firestarter a few years ago, and after seeing what the product can do, it's been our kit ever since. Their Firestarter rope and their fire plugs are windproof, waterproof, dummy proof. They have an insane burn time. And like anything else that they offer, it just works. Besides their fire stars, they offer an arc lighter, ferro rod, stormproof matches, basically anything that you need to get a fire started. To better equip you, we cherry picked their inventory and made our hard time strongman fire kit. Basically our essentials kit for anything that you can need to get a fire started. But besides that, they're offering 10% off anything in their store when you use the code STRONGMEN. We love the guys at Blackbeard Firestarter. We love what they're doing. We trust them and we trust their products. And we honestly can't recommend them enough. Make sure to check them out online at blackbeardfire.com or on Instagram at blackbeardfire. Huge shout out to the guys at Blackbeard Fire for working with us and for bringing the fire. As always, guys, stay in the fight. Hey everybody, this is 6 and 7 with the Hard Time Strongman Podcast, and we are coming to talk to you about our Patreon and Discord. Hey guys, our patrons get early access to all of our episodes. They get all of our exclusive pre and post shows, all of our spicy takes, all of our rabbit holes that we go on, everything that we want to include in the episode, but we can't because we need to stay on topic. And soon enough, we'll be offering digital downloads, guides, everything that we've been working on in the background will soon be available to our patrons. So make sure to check it out. And come hang out with us on Discord. Speaking of the spicy stuff, this is where we discuss most of it. Once you're there, you will get access to all of our in-depth discussions, including stuff like homesteading, fieldcraft, medical, camping, communications, shooting. You like ARs? Come talk to us about it. You like 4x4 vehicles and prepping? Come talk to us about it. 
You like Tannerite, Thermite, Napalm? Come talk to us about all of the campfire talks that will get us kicked off of other platforms. It's right there in our Discord. Come join our community. We're active on Discord every day. We're interacting with members constantly. We have guys from every walks of life coming to contribute their expertise to all of these various fields and subjects that we've been talking about. Come join the watch Discord. Come join the Discord. Join our community. Build up that better class of man. Now back to the episode. Yeah, that's what you're really getting there, isn't it? Like it's, it's judgment calls. It's those gray areas. It's one person's interpretation of what's right versus what's wrong or what's needed versus what isn't. Yeah. And for anyone who's ever been put in a leadership, put, put in a leadership situation where they have to make that call, it's not a fun one. And it's something more than likely you're going to have to live with the rest of your life, especially if you get it wrong. Well, regardless of if you get it right or wrong, if there is a mortal consequence, you're going to be living with that no matter what. Well, and, you know, we, we say later, so we're, you know, cater more towards our more traditional classes inside of the conversation, but this is a dad episode. Okay. As a dad, as a father, as a husband, as a father, it's my call. Right. The decision's on me. Yep. The consequences are going to have to be lived with, with me, but not only me, but me and my family. Whatever decision I make. Because I can go to work tomorrow. I could be blasted going to work tomorrow. And I could, you know, crash and die and, you know, take several people with me. Okay, then what's my family going to do? If I'm out of the picture, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to be provided for? What about the other family? Who might have been a dad or a mom? Our actions have consequences. So when I show up to a situation, say a trolley problem, or I show up to a issue with law enforcement or whatever, right? Referencing our, you know, earlier point in the conversation, right? I'm not just thinking about me. I can't. I don't have that right. leeway anymore. I don't have that freedom anymore. That's something I gave up willingly, gladly, right? But every decision I make, I have to make with the with the knowledge. I have to make with the with the burn that it affects my family and my family needs to come first in these decisions. Cause you know what, That's, if we come on hard times, who's going to be the last one to eat me. me? Yep. Cause it's up to me to make sure that my wife and my boys are fed and we have a roof over our heads and the roof doesn't leak. <laughs> so, you know, I have to have this on lock. I have to know what my non-negotiables are. And it's crazy too. Getting to that as well, because, you know, before I even got married, I was still of the mindset of, you know, screw it. If I die, I die. At least I'll have done the right thing. You know, right. I, I didn't care. I legitimately did not care if I lived or died. You know, I think that was, a lot of the indoctrination that was instilled in me mm -hmm. in the army was just do the right thing, you know, integrity, honor, you know, self-assertion. If you don't have anything else, you have that. Exactly. And if exactly. you die, you die well, right? Exactly. Stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. That's the entire principle of it. But now, now that I'm married, now that I'm about to be a dad, I'm struggling daily with changing that mindset. I, st I still am. There are so many times where I'll be sitting there and, you know, watching TV or whatever with my wife and, you know, I'll watch something happen. And the first thing I do is spout off about how that's not what I would have done. You know, I would have intervened, done this, 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 and this. And she'll just look at me and be like, no, you wouldn't have because 
you've got me, you've got, you know, our dog, you've got our child in the way. You're not going to be doing that. And I had to sit there and think, she's right. I mm-hmm. really need to get out of that mindset because that is my knee-jerk reaction is to just jump in, jump in to defend somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I grew up my entire life. You know, stand up to bullies, stand up for those that stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Stand up for people who need help, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens to you. And that's right. exactly that's very counter cultural, right? right? As a very moralistic approach, not legalistic. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the other side. OK, more legalistic approach. OK. This is where we start getting into some scary psychology type stuff. Okay. So I, so look up while we're talking about this, look up that, um, look up the prison experiment and look up the experiment with the, I forget what it's called, but it was, um, essentially where a researcher had a, a participant shock somebody. Oh God. Yes. Look up those two. Cause those are really great examples, but I'm going to talk about ordinary men. So audiobook that I listened to a while back, I'm going to read off the, the main headline from, from Amazon, but ordinary men reserve police battalion 101 and the final solution in Poland. So written by Christopher R. Browning explores how a unit of average middle-aged German men, average middle-aged men, became the cold blood murderers of tens of thousands of Jews in Poland in 1942. So they were just following orders. These were just ordinary dudes. It was a reserve police battalion, not mm-hmm. combat arms. Not as not, not, not active duty. This was a reserve police battalion. These were middle-aged dudes. Most of them. There are some younger guys, mostly middle-aged dudes with full families. Okay. And through groupthink, through following orders, through peer pressure and obeying to authority, you know, with however bigger little pushes they had to be given, these were the guys. It was their job in Poland to go around and liquidate towns of the Jewish population to the point to where, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, if you're squeamish, don't listen to this part. Okay. Viewer discretion is advised. All right. To the point to where they would roll into town, gather up all the Jews, march them out to a field where they would have them dig their own graves, lay down, put the barrel of their rifle to the base of the neck and pull the trigger. And they would do that all day. And you had some guys who would get sick of it and, you know, they obviously had severe PTSD, uh, but, you know, they get transferred out or whatever. They didn't have the stomach for it. You had most of them who did not have that problem because psychology is a hell of a thing when you have an authority figure who's telling you what to do, which you know we'll talk about with that shock experiment or the prison experiment. Okay. When you have a group who is doing something. You don't want to be the outsider, right? So peer pressure. And then you have the other factors, you know, the inherent factors. Oh, I joined and you know, I have this obligation. I have to follow orders. Okay. And you have the fallback of guys. I know you don't want to do this, but you're just, you just need to follow orders. Okay. Then people can commit atrocities. Literally tens of thousands of people. And these were some 30 year old, four year old dudes who hadn't dreamed of this in their worst nightmares. And they committed some of the worst atrocities during, during that war. So following orders, legalistic mindset, not a great deal. Following orders and still committing genocide is still genocide and is still war crime. 
and you are when your orders genocide. are genocide it's still genocide we had a freaking nuremberg trial over this right there is quite literally i i don't even know how to describe it but it's a duty it is your duty to not follow an unlawful order mhm full stop If you are given an unlawful order, it is your duty to not follow it. Full stop. I don't care who you are. Otherwise, you're going to end up at the Nuremberg trial 2.0. And that's for military folks, right? And that's for you know law enforcement. But the standard should be for everybody. Correct. It should be your duty to do the right thing. Correct. So... You know, quick aside before you get into those other experiments, but Uvalde. Okay. Oh, God. Guys who were following orders from a coward let a whole bunch of kids die and stop their parents from saving their kids. You know what? And they will I'm always be they will always be immortalized as cowards. They are all cowards. Because that is not what you do. Every but, single and, one and that's why did not and that's a coward. well and that's why I'm warning against this right because truly I am I I cannot say enough like I like it is not me I obviously don't agree with it but I understand I understand because psychology is a hell of a thing it is a hell of a thing and I completely disagree I what well, thousand percent would not have conducted myself the way that those officers did, but those officers are people, and some people act that way. So people, the people fact can be cowards too. Well, what I'm saying is, is that you need to understand, like you need to know that that is a possibility for you, right? Hundred oh, percent. So work against that. War against that. You know, if you don't have principles, if you can't name your principles right now, fix that. You know, yes, pray, meditate, think on it, you know, read up on, you know, on ethics, on values, on morals, on principles, carve that out on your heart and then hold that line. Because that is what matters at the end of the day. Nobody cares about an officer or a, or a you know, service member who has just followed orders. They care about the guy who thought outside the box, who did the right thing. That's what actually matters. I still praise all those parents who either got arrested trying to get in there or got arrested, got let go, and then still went inside to get their kids. I praise those kids for being brave enough parents. to get the hell out of there too. Oh, yeah, because that, no. that booked it. Yeah. No, I mean, you you did your job. Correct. You did your job. You fulfilled your duty in that moment. So, yeah, they should be proud of that. 100%. Mm-hmm. But continue on. What did you find? Okay, so there's two experiments where it dealt with legality versus morality. Um, so the first of these is the... Uh, Stanley Milgram shock experiment. Okay. This is pretty messed up. I have heard of this before. <laughs> I I know it's it's horrible, isn't it? It is. They're both terrible. You said Milgram, right? It's Milgram, right? Yes, Milgram. Yeah, yes. yeah. Horrible, so Milgram, horrible stuff. M i m i l g r a m. Um. So he was a psychologist at Yale University, and this is a. Super famous study. If you haven't heard about it, go go look it up. Um, 63. Yeah. So it dealt with um, the obedience in psychology. So this has everything to do with the whole following orders uh, phenomenon, so to speak. Um, hey. So basically what it was was um, in July of 61, Yeah, I've already got it pulled up. Okay. That's actually what I've got pulled up right now. Um, so in okay. July, I just want to make sure I was following on the same, uh, in the same correct. one. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So 
a year after the, the trial of uh, Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem, uh, Milgram devised this experiment to answer the question, uh, could it be that Eichmann and his million accomplices in the Holocaust were just following orders? Could we call them all accomplices? Quote from Milgram in 1974. So basically, he was trying to figure out whether or not the Germans that were claiming that they were just following orders were just that, or if there was something more to it, if they were technically innocent, if not morally innocent. Long story short, no. Um, however, the premise of this was that um, he was using male participants from Yale where they were paired, yeah, they were paired with a uh, another person, and they drew lots to find out who would be the quote, learner and who would be the quote, teacher. And of course, this was fixed. The students were always going to end up being the teacher, and the learner was always someone that worked with uh, Milgram, pretending to be a participant. So the learner was taken into a room and had electrodes attached to his arms. And the teacher, student, uh, and researcher went into a room next door that contained a uh, shock generator and a row of switches marked from 15 volts, so a slight shock, to 375 volts, severe shock, to 450 volts, death. The shocks were uh, not real. Spoiler alert, not real. Uh, the learners were nothing more than actors. However, they however, thought it was real. The teachers believed the shocks were real. Did not know any of this was a setup. And this was by design, period. So it was just designed to measure obedience to authority figures, even when it involved car causing harm to others. So that's where we get into the link to the Germans, the Nazis during the Holocaust, whether or not they were following orders. Uh, so participants were males, age 20 to 50, whose jobs were either unskilled or professional, you know, ranged anywhere from there. From that area, they were paid a minute amount, $4.50 just for being there. Um, in 1963 dollars. In 1963. Yes, correct. So, regardless, um, once this was all set up, uh, the uh, learner was supposed to have learned a list of word pairs given to him by the teacher, and then the teacher tests him by naming a word and asking the learner to recall its partner from the list of four possible choices. And each time that the learner was got it wrong, the teacher was told to administer an electric shock, increasing the level each time. And there were 30 switches on his generator. The learner gave mainly wrong answers on purpose, and the teacher gave them the electric shock. And when the teacher refused to administer a shock, the experimenter was given a series of orders prods to ensure that they continued. They were essentially ordered to force to continue. So, so they were, so they were not threatened. They were not aggressive. Nothing. It was in a calm voice. Please administer the shock. I really don't think please administer the shock. Sir, please administer. The, and it was just, it was insistent. And it was the fact that it was a person of perceived authority. And mm -hmm. they would do it. Yeah. So in the end, two thirds of the participants, the teachers, continued to the highest level of 450 volts. 65%. All of the participants continued to at least 300. Yeah. That is willingness. Like that is that says a lot. That says a lot to me. 
And of course, Milgram did more than just this one experiment. There was um, 18 variations that he did. And all he did was alter the situation to see how this affected opioids. And in the end, it was just, it was messed up. Like, it just showed that people just followed orders, you know? Right, so so the conclusion, essentially. Yeah, so the conclusion, you know, you could get the takeaway that there was something about them as people that caused them to obey, but more realistically, the situation influenced them and caused them to behave right. like they did. So right. the so there are a lot of factors in place. All right. So the formality of the location, right? This is a very formal, this is a very you know, legit uh, situation and environment. Okay. The behavior of the experimenter. Okay. So even though you have someone who they could not see, you know, who was, you say, oh, you know, like crying or screaming or whatever in shock you had. And, you know, the experimenter who was very composed, very professional, you know, was very, you know, had a very um, authoritative presence, right? Not overbearing, but a very professional, very, you know, it, they were an authority figure. Okay. And the fact that these people had volunteered and been paid to do a job, right? So people tend to obey orders if they recognize the authority and they recognize the right and wrong. So this can I think, stem all the way back from you growing up. Yeah. I think this quote kind of says it all from Milgram when he wrote that stark authority was pitted against the subject's strongest moral imperatives against hurting others. And with the subject's ears ringing with the screams of the victims, authority won more often than not. Yeah. That is best. So to, to recap, okay. You had two people in a room the experimenter and the participant. And then behind a wall that you can see this other person, you had someone in a microphone every time that they would, you know, quote unquote, press the button, they would be, you know, they would be signified and then they would scream like they were being put in pain. So this was not real. They weren't getting shocked. They were acting and the person could not see them. But given the information that they were given, they believed that they were shocking the person up to the point of death because they got paid what six dollars and like four dollars or, or something or yeah. and somebody in a lab coat told them to do it and this is just some joe splow on the street some ordinary guy mm-hmm. scary stuff man what about the uh the prison experiment did you find that one yet yes so i actually know this one pretty well this is the stanford uh prisoner experiment so what happened was obviously took place at stanford this time and it was a group of students and they were divided between prisoners and guards and it was a study in, in which it simulated a prison environment and oddly enough, this was funded by the Office of Naval Research. Uh, so, social experiment, and it took place over a period of uh, two weeks. And long story short, they figured, they found out that there was such severe mistreatment of the prisoners that escalated so quickly that the uh, the head guy in charge terminated the experiment after only six days. Like people got, it was supposed so to last for two weeks, two weeks. They got so freaking like, what do you call it? Egotistical or like drunk, drunk on, drunk on power, drunk, drunk on, on power. authority. Thank you. Drunk on, drunk on power that they just started treating people. Like 
their own like fellow students. They just treated an ordinary human being who had done nothing wrong like absolute complete crap. So on day two, the prisoners staged a rebellion. That's how bad it got. That's how quick. Oh <laughs> that's how quickly it happened. So within the first four days, three prisoners had become so traumatized that they were released. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, some of the guards became cruel and tyrannical, while a bunch of the prisoners became depressed and disoriented. Only after Zur came in, or upon the scene, did. The uh, did Zimbardo conclude the experiment less than a week after it started? Like I said, six days after it started. So, dehumanizing people, putting people in positions of authority and people in submissive roles, and letting them run wild does not end well. Yeah, and it basically just so a lot of people claimed that this experiment attracted people who were predisposed to authoritarianism. So, people who, for lack of a better phrase, were just bullies. Like, they had a predisposition to being bullies. However, the people that volunteered, they knew of the experiment that you would be either selected to be a prisoner or a guard and they were randomly selected for their roles. So it's not like you were, you know, trying, you, like, you're like, like, oh, I want, I'm, I'm ready to be a guard, you know? Yeah, I'm going to be a this guard. Was, yeah. This was randomized, essentially. Yes. But the fact that it, like, devolved so quickly to such a severe level to where, like, there was a prisoner revolt, there was, um, the guards implementing a thing, a, a system of rewards and punishments in like by day like four or something like that. It, it's almost as alarming as Milgram's experiment. In fact, it's probably more mm-hmm. alarming because that kind of thing happens daily here in the United States by people who signed up specifically to be guards. Like well, knowing and, they're going to be in a position of power and abusing that power. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, you know, police officers, prison guards, teachers, yes, secure security guards, whatever. All right. So, couple these two experiments with ordinary men, right? With a historical example of those atrocities, right? The whole point of this is that this shouldn't be a surprise to people, like what people are capable of. At no point should you be, oh my gosh, I can't believe that somebody did this. You know, like the the capability for, you know, for people in a negative context is, is very real yeah, and, and well documented, right? So what stops you from doing that are not laws. No, it's your morals. Is your morals, is your principles. Okay. This is obvious in, you know, talking about gun laws, talking about anything. You know, laws do not stop people from doing anything. Laws are written on a piece of paper and you either agree to follow them or you don't. What factors into that decision is who you are as a person, your non negotiables, your principles, your values. That is why you need to cultivate that. That is why you need to cultivate that in your family, your friends, your community. And, you know, along with that, you need to figure out what your non-negotiables are. Because if you have principles, but you aren't willing to hold them, you don't really have principles. You know, this takes sacrifice. And you need to be prepared for that. Because as good or bad as it is right now, can guarantee it can get a whole lot worse. Oh, it's, it's I guarantee it's going to get a lot worse. So 
on that cheery note. You know anything else, man? Uh, yes, I do. I'm glad you asked. So I have to end this. I'm going to have, I'm going to give one of my favorite quotes that I've heard in a movie from shooter towards the end of it. Marky Mark okay. is in chains. Was appearing before the attorney general. The attorney general says to the colonel, Colonel, your moral compass is so fucked up. I'll be shocked if you manage to find your way back to the parking lot. <laughs> and we have plenty of people like that in positions of authority in the government, even in corporations, in small businesses, everywhere. We have people whose moral compasses are so fucked up, they probably can't find their way back to their car. Don't be one of those people. If you don't stand for anything, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. Yep. Dad joke. Dad jokes. Oh, God. Um, How am I never prepared for this? I know we're doing a dad set. I never have one on my hand. You uh, are a dad. How do you not have a dad joke? Because I do most, most of my stuff based off situations. I do want to nail down the fact that we do this every week. I know. Okay, so I made a whopping six figures last year. I was also fired from a toy company for being too slow. I didn't understand why the Frisbee kept getting bigger. And then it hit me. Why the dogs sit in the shade? Because he was a hot dog. Because he didn't want to be a hot dog. Oh. Close. 3.14% of sailors are considered pirates. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I threw a boomerang once and it never came back. Now I live in constant fear. Uh, I only know 25 letters of the alphabet. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, you're done. <laughs> Guys, we are the Hard Time Strongman Podcast. Cheering up a bear class of man. We talked about legality versus morality. Best advice I have for you is, you know, like we've said in, I don't even know how many episodes, you are the man that, you know, that you want to be. So. If you don't like who we are, you can fix that. Where that needs to start is your principles and your morals, right? Your, you know, your personal foundation. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. So nail that down and get that right. You got anything else? So my best advice right now is don't go into the grass without armor. It's got blades. Stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Hey guys, this is Six and Seven with the Hard Time Strongman podcast. Wanted to take a second to do a mental health check in and to tell you all about the 988 crisis lifeline. So the 988 lifeline is a national network of local crisis centers that provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the United States. You can reach the lifeline at 988lifeline.org or you can call or text 988 to get help to get someone real on the phone. Every struggle is different. 
Every struggle is hard. But you are not alone in whatever you're going through. As someone who has used the 988 crisis line, I fully recommend that if you're feeling any of those feelings of depression, suicide, hopelessness, get in touch with them immediately. They will help you. They will listen to you. Once again, guys, you can reach the lifeline at 988lifeline.org or you can call or text them at 988. As always, guys, stay in the fight. Stay in the fight.